Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Hey there, friends. Pastor Lindsay Murphy here, and I get to bring week two of Esther to you. Last week, Mark kicked it off, not at the beginning of the book, but towards the end of the book, but with an incredible reminder that God is everywhere and his supreme desire is to be with you. What a powerful message for all of us to carry each and every day. Whether you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you don't, I want you to know that he wants to be with you. And Esther is this incredible story of how God who seems absent because we don't hear his name in the actual book, is in fact present. And he is present in huge ways. This week we're going to dive into how Esther is positioned to take on a role that perhaps she never thought she would have to take on. But God used her in a mighty way. And in fact, he is positioning you today to do the very same thing. So let's just dive into the story. Those of you who've seen me before know that sometimes I kind of chunk it apart and break the story apart. Today we're going to actually read it in its completion. I promise it's not too long. And then we're going to see what God has for us in this story of Esther. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4 of Esther. It's in the Old Testament. And Mark gave us a little bit of background, and I'll give some of it too, right? We have Esther, who is now queen, and Mordecai, who is her uncle. And there's been this incredible, horrible decree that's been brought down. And we'll talk about what that is in a minute, but let's just jump in in the story. And I read out of the NLT version, and so... Here we go. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all of the provinces, there was great mourning among, among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed. And many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused. Then Esther sent Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square uh, in the front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all the Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. 
He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king, to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther message, Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. This is like old time text message, you know, carried by a person instead of a cell phone. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything Esther had ordered him to do. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the power of this story of Esther and Mordecai. Teach us today how you are positioning us to do what only we can do with the gifts you gave us. Amen. Well, friends, I, I want to dive in a little bit. Like I told you, we're going to just, we read the whole story, we got a bigger picture. Here's the decree that Mordecai is worried about. We actually find it in chapter 3, verse 13. It's an order to kill, slaughter, and annihilate in a single day all the Jews, young and old, women and children. And this is to happen in the next year on March 7th. So this isn't just a decree out there. It has a specific time, has a specific date, and have a, has a specific order. You can now imagine why Mordecai and the rest of the Jews are mourning, they're wailing, they're weeping. In fact, as I was starting to think and, and try to picture this in my head, I'm a visual person, so for all my visual people out there, right, I have to like picture what this would be like. Now, perhaps you've been sad before. You've perhaps wailed and mourned, maybe more so in this season than any other. But I don't personally know anyone who puts on burlap and ashes in the midst of this mourning. I know that when I have been in seasons of mourning, my preferred clothing are sweatpants and sweatshirts. There's something about this burlap that really got me thinking, though. So I, I, I have a piece of it here. You can buy it anywhere now, right? We use it for decoration. But if you've ever felt burlap, it's, 
itchy, <laughs> right? I, I wouldn't want to cover my entire body in this. Perhaps this was an outward experience for what was happening on the inside. It was a demonstration of the pain that was happening inside to come outside. And then, of course, as Mordecai is in the streets, he is publicly wailing at this decree. You know, Mark pointed out that nowhere in this entire book do we hear of these people calling out to God by name. In fact, I, I was thinking about other stories when I heard that and I thought to myself, well, most people who have gone through that kind of distress in the scripture, the first thing we hear them do is cry out to God. And we don't see that from Mordecai. Does that mean his grief was less or more? No, in fact, I think it was exactly the position God wanted him to be in. This sometimes, friends, our pain is not private, it's public. And we have a tendency when we have public pain to want to go to public platforms. That's not really what Mordecai was doing here. And instead, he was trying to reach out to Esther to get her attention, for her to use her position to make a difference. His distress caused her distress. Which got me to think of this question, and that's the question I want you to think about while we chat today. Is what is distressing you something that the Spirit wants to use? Is your distress positioning you to be used by God? I know that seems like a strange question. Let me give you an example. It is, what, May? Well, just last month, this celebrated three years, and I hate to use the word celebrated, really mourned. Three years have passed since my dear friend went into a, a coma because of a car accident. Three years my friend has laid in hospital because of a car accident. I remember that day very well. In fact, I was getting ready to preach on a Sunday, much like I'm doing today. And I got a text message from a friend that said that he had been in a car accident. That my friend was telling me that our other friend was in a car accident. He hadn't woke up. It took him 45 minutes to get him out of the vehicle. I preached that Sunday morning and I went home and I did the only thing that I could think to do. I sat down and I wrote an email. An email had already gone out to the whole school telling us about the accident, letting us know what was going on, the best of their knowledge. And I wrote back and I said, I will be there at 725 in the morning to pray with anyone who wants to pray. And I'll be there in the afternoon to pray and I hit send. Now, I'm not gonna compare myself to Esther here. I wasn't gonna die for my email, but I all of a sudden realized after hitting send that I had sent it to the entire district, not just the staff at my high school, but no, I had sent it to the superintendent and the assistant superintendent and the head of HR. Do you see where I'm going with this? 
there was going to be a consequence. I knew it. I hit send and all of a sudden when I saw the recipients of the email, I panicked. What am I going to do? I could get in so much trouble for this. And as quickly as that came out of my mouth, I remembered. Perhaps I'm being positioned at such a time as this to lead people in prayer for our dear friend. I went ahead and decided that whatever consequence comes my way, I'm going to pray anyway. Let's see what Esther, right? We see that Esther decides the same thing. After she haggles back and forth with Mordecai, she realizes that perhaps her position while it may mean that she has to die because she's going to go before the king before she's asked, she's willing to do it anyway. So this idea of not being invited has its place in this story. Just like me letting the superintendent know that I'm going to pray on public school property. Do you know the beautiful thing that happened that day, my friends? I prayed that morning and several of us came. We wept for our friend. We did. We mourned for our friend and we lifted our friend up to the Most High King. A little while during that day, in fact, I was teaching. I went about teaching my day and I see a gentleman walk by the door. It's the superintendent outside my door. I thought, oh, this is it. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Later on, I saw the assistant superintendent go by my door. Oh, well, this is it. I'm in trouble. Do you know that I didn't get in trouble that day? In fact, they thanked me for taking the initiative, for positioning myself in a place to do something for someone else. See, the thing is, is that we can't escape the reality of the consequence, right? There was a consequence for Esther's choice. It was a cultural consequence. For some of you, you may be thinking today, Lindsay, this is great. This is a great story of Esther. Wow, she's so brave. You know, how many of you have probably heard, perhaps you've been queen for such a time as this. But maybe you consider yourself and you think, I don't know, Lindsay. I, I don't think that's me. Well, the thing is, is that yes, the consequence may be big, but here's what a dear friend said to me one day when we were talking about being obedient to a call on our lives. He said to me, Lindsay, when you obey, God is responsible for the consequence. Do you know that a consequence really means a result? So, so many often we, we hear the word consequence and we think something negative. But the actual definition of consequence means a result. Something comes out of your obedience. And when you and I obey, regardless of the risk, or even without knowing what the risk is, God is responsible for the consequence. He's responsible for the result. Because he is everywhere, and he is all-knowing, and he wants to be with you, and he sees out in front of you. He wants you to obey in the moment. So despite the pain, despite the emotion, the facts can't be ignored. Esther was just being honest. 
right? She says, I don't know. I, I haven't been asked for. In fact, I haven't been sent for 30 days. And I love that Mordecai answers her with honesty. He says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you'll escape when all the other Jews are killed. Sometimes, friends, in the midst of these moments when God is positioning us, we need wise counsel. We need to get ourselves in a position where we're getting wise counsel from someone who's willing to be honest, not just about what we are positioned to do, but also what God is calling us to do and how those facts are going to play out. See, when we take a risk for the Lord, we're not being reckless, we're being courageous. And that step of courage, we have to understand and accept the earthly consequences that come with the risk. In fact, I got to thinking when I was thinking about the risks that we take. I thought about Peter's words in 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. As if something strange is happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. You're a partner in this. So often, perhaps even Esther, for a moment, thought, I'm all by myself. What can Mordecai expect of me? I'm all by myself. But not only does Esther seek wise counsel, she then brings people into the inner circle. See, friends, when God is positioning us, we need to do these things. We need to seek wise counsel, and then we need to bring people in. Notice what she asks. She, she asks them to fast for three days. To go about fasting day and night for three days, and she agrees to do the same thing. It's this beautiful spiritual discipline. Where we take this time, we weigh the risk, but we don't weigh them with a worldly weight. We weigh them with God's weight. Seeking wise counsel and bringing people into that inner circle where we're positioning ourselves to do what God is asking us to do. And I want you to remember Paul's words as, as I know what's happening. For so many of us, you know that God has called you. You know it. God has called you to be a leader in your family. God has called you to serve your neighbor. God has called you to take on a new position at work. God has called you to serve your children in a different way than you ever have before. God has called you to leave everything you've ever known. And you're like, hold up, wait a minute. I don't have time for that. Don't you know what it's going to cost me, God? Yes. Yes, he does. He knew that day before I realized when I hit send what it was going to cost me. And you know what? The world was having me weigh all the consequences while kingdom work was getting weighed by God's scale. And what God said is, listen, if you take that little bit of obedience, watch what I can do. Watch what I can do. So then there's that if you keep quiet. It's kind of like a double dog dare you, right? Like if you keep quiet. 
it got me thinking about Paul and Silas. It's one of my favorite stories. It's found in Acts 16. And, and it, Paul and Silas are in prison. In fact, they're in the inner dungeon. What I've read about the inner dungeon, friend, this is like where, you know, the waste goes from the prison. Like, this is not a pretty place. It is dark. It is smelly. It is gross. It is awful. Right? Here's what happens when we decide not to keep quiet. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Why? Because Paul and Silas decided not to be quiet in the dungeon. Instead, they were praying and they were singing. See, so if Paul and Silas in a prison praying and singing, and you have Esther who is saying, listen, I'm going to fast, I'm going to get quiet before the Lord, and then I'm going to do what only I can do. How do we know? The question is, how do I know? What am I supposed to do? Lindsay, are you telling me I'm supposed to sing, or are you telling me I'm supposed to be quiet? Well, friends, God knows. Wise counsel and bring people along with you in the position, and then you will know what it is you're supposed to do. See, obedience comes from faith, and faith comes from trust. Trust is developed when we're in the Word, and we're taking one step at a time in His will, in His way. While in the Word, you begin to develop the ability to discern His voice. And it's a voice of life. Haman in this story was a voice of death. All he wanted to do was steal and kill and destroy. Mordecai and Esther listened to the voice of life. And because of that, they took the risk. They took a risk. And Esther's words, if I must die, I must die. Do you know that it only takes us five seconds to talk ourselves out of what God is positioning us to do? That's it. One, two, three, four, five. By the time we hit five, we've done all that Esther has done, a million excuses, but we stop just short of saying, I will do it. Because we've let the world dictate that the risk is too big. That the position is too big. Friends, can I tell you something that I've been learning along the way? When the position seems too big for you, it's probably the exact position God wants for you because only through Him can you do it. Only through Him can you actually do it. Do you know, for my friend, we continued praying. My intention when I sent that email was for that day. And then I knew God was calling me that for the rest of the school year, right until the middle of June, that we would continue to pray every morning and every night. Every morning and every night. And you know, the big group, it dwindled down, it dwindled down, till there was just three or four of us there every morning and every afternoon praying. Did, did God do less because the group got smaller? Oh, friends, he did not. He did not. 
I want you to think about what God might be doing in your distress. How might God be positioning you in your distress to use it for his kingdom? Remember the burlap? Remember that outward expression of what's happening on the inside? It's a way of calling out to your community and saying, I must do something. I must. I can no longer stay silent. Well, I, I want you to have a piece of burlap. If you have one at home, I, I would like you to take it and keep it somewhere as a reminder that God is positioning you. He's going to use what's happening in your life right now, good, bad, and everything in between for his kingdom if you'll let him. And if you don't have burlap right here, right now, I want you to drop a comment that you want one. And then in private message, I want you to give me your address and I will send you one. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a piece of cloth. But what it is, it's saying, listen, Lindsay, I want the accountability. Because I'm ready to be in position to do what God has asked me to do. I'm ready to pray. I'm ready to move. I'm ready to do what only... I can do through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to leave you with this verse. It's the most powerful verse, really. It's been weighing on me for the last year. This is Jesus' words here, my friends. This is Jesus speaking to each and every one of us. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross. And follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Friends, Esther positioned herself. Here she was, the queen. She had honest conversation with wise counsel and then she brought people in to her circle so that as she positioned herself to do what only she could do through Christ who was strengthening her, she would actually do it. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, we got to give up whatever we're hanging on to. Whatever excuse you've been using, whatever logical, factual reason you've been using to say no, I want you to give it up. Then you gotta take up. That means you gotta pick something up. See, sometimes we're quick to say, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want. And then we forget that that actually means we have to do it. <laughs> I want you to take up those divine appointments, my friends. The clerk at the grocery store whose head is hanging low, who could use somebody to talk to. The neighbor you haven't seen come out of their house in months. Maybe you need to go knock on their door. That job opportunity that you keep telling yourself you're not good enough for, maybe it's time to just send the resume in and trust God with the result. And then you have to follow. If I must die, I must die, but I can't keep silent. What is distressing you today? What position is the Spirit putting you in today 
that can be used for God's kingdom. Heavenly Father, Esther seems so brave. I read this story and I think, oh my word, she's so brave. But we have to count the cost. She did. She counted the cost. She knew that going into the king without being called could risk her life. But you know what? Silence risked everybody else's. And so she decided, Lord, that it was worth it. That it was worth every risk because she wanted to see your kingdom come. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us that in those five seconds we make that decision to say no. When we know in our heart of hearts that we need to say yes. And thank you, Lord, that even though we maybe have said no a thousand times, you are calling us a thousand and one. And so, Lord, in the midst of that, we'll mourn for what we will let go. We will wrap ourselves in that burlap because we're ready to let go. We'll mourn it, we'll grieve it, and then we'll follow you. We'll take the next step forward. And Lord, for anyone out there that's listening today that says, Lindsay, that's great. I don't even know who Jesus is. I don't even know who God is. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know, but I think I'm supposed to do something. Lord, I pray that with their fingers, they would just type a message right now. That they want to chat about what you are calling them to do. Because Lord, each one of us are made in your image. And each one of us have been given a gift by the Holy Spirit to be used for your kingdom. And whatever is distressing them today can be used for your glory if we're willing to give up, take up, and follow. Amen. Friends, if that was you today, you don't know who Jesus is. You stumbled on this message today. I want you to know that wherever you are, that's exactly where God is. That he loves you. And that whatever position you're in, God can use it. Because whatever the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. If you're willing to give up. Take up that cross. And follow him. I want you to join me this morning in the, this song. As I was listening to the lyrics, I began to think about what holds us back. What keeps us from stepping into the position. The song is Waymaker. One of the words is, you are here working in this place. I don't believe that a camera or a screen or a computer separates what God is doing. I believe God is doing something in your place just as he has done something in my place and will continue to do stuff all over the world. Why do I think that? Well, because he is a way maker. He makes a way. He made a way. Because Mordecai made his pain public, he made a way for Esther by making her queen long before she ever knew that that position was going to be exactly what she needed. He's setting things up for a miracle, my friends.
He is. And if you hang on for this story, you're going to know that he set her up for a miracle to save the Jews. And he's reminding you of every single promise because when you're in the Word of God, every promise will just begin to Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.